We uh, are finishing up a short series entitled How to Use Refreshing Truth. We started that two weeks ago looking at abortion. Um, Pastor Kathy preached last week about racism, and today we're tackling um, yet another one looking at truth about homosexuality, perhaps um, the most difficult of them all for uh, a number of reasons and at a number of levels. Perhaps the greatest is it is such a, a highly charged and emotional issue. It is an issue that challenges us to love deeply, to love in a way perhaps we never have before. challenges us to love in a way that we might not or aren't currently willing to. An issue that has created great chasms in, in a world, great divides. Again, at all different kinds of levels world, in our country, in our communities, in our churches, and in our lives. Satan, in so many different ways, has gotten what he's hoped for. Unresolved conflict, sin, pain, hurt, brokenness. And God grieves it all. And out of his love, he gives Truth, truth that is refreshing. Refreshing because as truth, as his word, and I want you to think about this. I mentioned it the first week and I'll repeat it again. God's truth is refreshing because it can stand alone. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to make excuses for it or apologize for it. It is truth. That's incredibly refreshing to know, isn't it, that you don't have to come up with your own argument or your own way to lay things out, but that you can just stand firm in the truth of God. It's refreshing. Because of what it is that he says. And the power. And the life that comes out of his living word. His grace. His truth. Are the only things. That really change and transforms. Hearts and lives. And this morning. I submit to you that he asks you to think deeply about what it is that he says, to move past human arguments, cultural mandates, opinions, or beliefs, to simply focus on his truth. And I share that because I know that um, some might already, just hearing one word, have their hearts and their minds starting to shut down, to build up walls and defenses. I just ask you to listen, to hear what it is that he has to say. 
than to love enough to be. There are so many places um, that we could go in the Word of God to speak about the issue of homosexuality. It's not confined to the text that I'm going to read. But I chose it because it is perhaps, they're all very clear, but has details. It's one of the most specific passages. So we're going to read in just a minute, Romans 1, verses 24 to 32. We'll also look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and end with Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Could read um, passages out of Leviticus, 1 Corinthians 6. Just simply going to focus on what shared here. And part of the reason that I mentioned those other places, because there is, there's, there's numerous places where God speaks about practice and a sin of homosexuality, um, but there's not one where it's condoned. Not one. I want to begin by reading Romans 1, verses 22. Hear living word of God. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who was forever. Be praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Further, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approved those practice them. This is God might be in our hearts. In some ways, I, I don't know how Scripture could really be any clearer. And I challenge you just to, to look at the words. And this isn't, again, just in this place but it was true from the beginning. There's some verses about that just prior to verse 24. It says this. The wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. And then this, verse 20. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen and being understood. Here it is, being understood from what has been made so that men slash people are without excuse. Since the beginning of the world, God, as He created and called things into being, demonstrated His power, demonstrated His His eternality, His individual qualities, it says. In the way that He created the world, all species, and then humanity. So that, what does it say? People, man, will be without excuse. And if you go back to the beginning, there's a couple of things that I just want to point out about how God created human beings, you and me. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this, Let us make man, person, humans, in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Since the beginning, the creation of the world, God made it really clear what his plan was, how he created, what was right, what was good. So that people would be without excuse. There's two things that are really significant about this particular passage, that is Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that I want to point out to you as it relates to the issue of homosexuality. First of all, it's very clear. He says he created them in his image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. He created them with gender, too. Very specific, very clear. And part of the struggle when we start thinking about, and, and, and when you think about what that means then and what it meant in terms of people inhabiting the earth, what is it that it says that God gave them to do to, to exist, to live together, to rule over the earth? And then if you drop down to 2.24, these words, speaking and going through the creation story, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. Be united together. Marriage. Clear. Spelled out, specific. See, gender does have a lot to do with it in terms of how God created. And I would submit to you that when God created the world, when God created humanity, when God created them male and female, he did not make any mistakes. He hasn't since. He didn't make a mistake when he created you. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what issues you're facing today, he created you. Not a mistake. 
Then it says, not only did he create them, male and female, what else? You see it? In his... What does that mean? There's a lot of commentary on that. Salt, two of the all-time best, John Calvin and Augustine, they would say that what is being shared there in his image means in his rightness, spiritually correct, good, holy. That's how he created us, you and me, male and female. Right, correct, holy. Tell what? Tell sin. See the connection? If you go back to the passage in Romans 1, it speaks about, again, being without excuse, but then exchanging truth for a lie. God's righteousness has been cleared since he created the world, so there's no excuses. And it happened, right? People exchange the truth of God. Why? Sin came into the world. It came into the world in a lot of different ways. Sexuality is one of them. You read in verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. And that covers the whole gamut. So sex outside of marriage, adultery, also homosexuality, sexual impurity. And just a thought about that, I want you to think about this in terms of God giving them over. You know, there are a lot of things that we can talk about, but in Scripture, it, it speaks about sin as a choice then, right? You know all of the other arguments. God makes that clear as well. God gave them over. He allowed it. Sometimes we wonder that, right? Maybe after we've done something incredibly bad that, that, we're, that we're sorry for and that we truly want to repent, and maybe we ask ourselves, God, why didn't you prevent me from doing that? Why did I have to? Because there's no honor and glory in God if you're a spiritual robot. If all he did was mandate you to the good, no, he gives you a choice called free will. And you exercise it every single day, hundreds and thousands of times a day to make choices, either be right with God or not right with God either sin or not to sin. God gives you over as well, just as anybody else. But that's part of the truth. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. 21. See, there's a choice. Who are we going to be? How are we going to live? 
then it gets really specific. It's passage. Verses 26 and 27. Very relevant to the hot issue in our world today. Really clear. I'll read it one more time. So there's, you don't have your Bibles before you're not reading it. God gave them over to the shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Anything confusing? In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and they were inflamed with lust for one another. Anything confusing? See, in in conversations um, at, at very deep levels, I've heard people take these words and just twist and manipulate them. And one of the things that I I learned in seminary was when you get the Word of God, and again in original languages, don't try to create something out of nothing. Scripture says what it says, and it means what it says. And yet perhaps more than any other passage, although there's a lot that people do some really incredible um, and creative things with when it comes to the truth of God, this is one of them. but it speaks for itself again. No no excuses, no additions, just read the words. Very clear. It's very clear about the practice, about the behavior, about the lifestyle. but there's a little bit more. It goes on to mention, as you read in verses 29 to 30, other sins as well. And it's one of the things that I I would point to and, and, and tell you to have as a red flag in your head about truth. And I've had all kinds of conversations. People say, well, I believe the Bible all except for this part or all except for that part. Again, it could go back to Matthew 5, what Jesus says. I've come to fulfill it all, all of it. Every single thing that you struggle with or that you question. And it's at the the foundation level. It is a natural and logical result of cultural relativism. See, once you make truth relative, once you say this is this is okay because this is this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is what I accept as truth, and, and then you jettison apart, where does it stop? That's exactly what scripture is speaking about in those verses. Then you can cut and paste, right? I love it in a computer, not in life, and not with God's word. See, whatever we choose not to like, we just put in the spam bin. As if it doesn't exist. It does. That's the beauty of truth. Or are we to pick and choose what that is? We to argue with the creator of the world. 
the stars in place. Get you together each moment. And yet it happens. There's those practices. There's those sins. Again, it can then just open up the vault, right? Go to wherever you want to if you say, well, you know what? I don't accept this as truth. But here's the part I really want you to focus on. It's there in verse 32. Those, although those, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. And by the way, that's speaking about unrepentant sin, not being right with God. It's not saying because they practice these things, they're condemned to hell. If they don't repent, that not only continue to do these very things, and here it comes, but approve of those. Think about that. I, I have no idea what's going on in your heart and in your lives. Just no truth. What it is that God is saying You can take away everything else that that I might add to it. Just the very words. And I want you to think about how you view this hot issue, how you speak about it, how you see it in the world, how you see it in the relationships that you have. And again, the reason that this is so hard, the reason that this is so hot is because it can be so personal. People that we love deeply, That's where it calls us, beyond practice. When you see those words, approve of those who practice them, it's talking about, think about all of the the hot words. Tolerate, accept, condone. That's exactly what it's speaking about. That's what approval is. Today, with this issue... Acceptance and tolerance is demanded. And you have to be really clear about it. Accepted and demanded for what? Sin. You know, once upon a day, just like with abortion, I mentioned that it started over here and then it just moved along. And now we're at a much more honest place in terms of discussions about abortion. And I would submit to you the same thing has happened with the issue of homosexuality. Started out as, you know, um, just who are you saying anything about? It's private in our own homes, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's way to the point of tolerance and demands. God has something different to say. speaks about it. I want you to know what is right. I want you to know what is true. I want you to live in a right relationship. 
That includes how you speak, you look at the issues that are in our world today, since it's there. It kind of um, is something that kind of befuddles me sometimes, confuses me when I have conversations. And it goes along these lines in terms of tolerance and acceptance. One of the things, um, maybe you can relate to this, one of the things that invariably comes out if you speak or have a conversation about this issue for any length of time is, why is it that you choose to single out this particular sin? Have you ever had that happen? Maybe you're all just deep in thought or else you haven't had the conversations that you should be having. And and I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Singling it out, what's the big deal? And at one level, I'd agree, sin is sin. And yet, um, when it comes up in that conversation, I, I immediately ask the question, why are you singling it out? It, it, it's something that you, you speak about, um, that you're passionate about, you're amped up about. What about all the other injustices and the problems in the world? What about murder? What about rape? What about lying and deceitfulness and stealing? Why is it that this is the soapbox? It's a two-way street. And it's not only that. um, The thing that I get most concerned about in terms of signaling it out when it comes to sin is... Um, again, although it's changing, right? Our world is changing. And I just would point to cultural relativism once again. When you jettison part of truth, it all becomes fair game. So now lying is acceptable. Do a survey, do a poll. Barn a group. 80% of people inside and outside of churches thinking it's okay to lie and be deceitful. I I hope who's before me is the 20%. But it's not much different when it comes to the practice of homosexuality. Now we see people saying to steal is okay. Where will it end? I don't know. This truth is something to really think about strongly because of all of the things. And even if you had conversations and heartfelt conversations, I think most people, if you really, if you went to Scripture, et cetera, et cetera, would say, you know what, it is wrong to lie. It is wrong to steal. But this is okay. Why would that alone be true? Why would you single out a practice that God speaks very clearly about and say that it's all right, that it's not sin? God calls it sin. I mean, read the words. Say, don't take my word for it. You've got scripture in front of you. Do your work. No. But you know how God is calling us.
along with not practicing sin, calls us not to accept it, not to tolerate it, not to And it matters. I would ask parents, does it matter for you to teach your children right and wrong? What would happen if you never told your child what was right? I feel sorry for you when they get to be older. And why is it that you would do that? Why is it if a friend is really messing up, would you take the time? Look them in the eye and say, look, you've got to get your life together. Why is it that you would confront a parent? Why is it that you would confront a child and speak truth to them? Why is it that you tell your child, don't lie? Why is it that you don't, you tell your child, don't steal? Why is it that you tell your child it's wrong to, to spit on somebody? Any other incorrigible behavior? Why? One thing, because you love. Is that not true? Because you love. Brothers and sisters today in a lost and hurting world so loved by God, he asked you and he asked me to love enough. To love enough to be truthful. To say the hard things. And to do the hard things. And it is hard to speak from personal experience. He says, love. You know the words, Matthew 22. Read them the first week, read them again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang these two commandments. Love enough. I want you to think about that. But what does it mean, love enough, concerning this hot issue? What does it mean to love God enough? What are the thoughts going through your head? What would it mean for you right where you're at with all of the struggles, all of the things that you have going on in your heart, in your head about this particular issue, whatever that might be, wherever you're at on the spectrum, practicing or approving, what would it mean to love God enough? And you see the heart, soul, and mind, total essence, total being. What would it mean to love God in terms of what he shares is truth and what he shares is grace? What would it mean to love others? And when I say that, I want I want to be clear too. Um, I think when we think about loving your neighbor as yourself, what God is asking us to do, give his grace, give his forgiveness. It's incredibly hard when somebody's in your face or is defiant, seething, angry, mad. What does it mean to love in that moment? 
love enough, giving grace, giving forgiveness. One of the one of the hard things about this is is you can't expect it to be reciprocated. Whenever you love enough, and you know that again from your experiences with children, when there were consequences for inappropriate behavior, right? And you're doing it why? Because you love them. In that moment, you can't expect your children to be like, ah. They're a little bit angry. They're a little bit upset. They might say things that you don't like to hear and that really aren't true for them. But they spit them out. What we might expect. It's also what we might expect for people who aren't claiming truth. Love enough, you'll be right where Jesus was. Love that passage in Galatians as well. And I'll become your enemy by telling you the truth. Happens. Jesus loved in a way that was extraordinary. He mastered that balance of grace and truth, something I long to do every day. Love enough to be bold and courageous. Say what needs to be said, just like preaching this message this morning. And to love enough to give grace and forgiveness. What I'm not called to do is to love the way the world calls me love. Again, that's one of the hard things. Love has been redefined, the love of God. Maybe again, you've had the conversations. I know you see the signs. It was in that one slide that we showed too. But invariably, again, get into a conversation about this in just a couple of minutes in. There's all these these accusations and statements about not being welcoming, not being loving. Why? Because if you did, according to my definition, this would not be a problem. You see the signs, Jesus loves me. Yes, he does. He loved you enough to die for your sin. He calls homosexuality sin. We have that saying, right? He loves sinners, not so true. When you hear those words, for God so loved the world, he didn't say, oh, and by the way, put an asterisk by that world. For God so loved everybody except people who rape. God loves everybody except those who kill. God loves everybody except homosexuality, people who practice homosexuality. No, he said the world. And that's how we're called to love. Same way. And that's how Jesus lived, and that's how Jesus loved. You know, it's amazing to me you read these passages, and, and I think some of the struggle, and so when we're getting that challenge to love enough, to love enough, I want you to think about it. Love, what does it mean to love enough? To love Jesus enough, to be bold, to be truthful, to love Jesus enough, 
to be filled with grace, to love others enough to be filled with grace and forgiveness. What does it mean? What does it look like? That's the difference maker. Jesus didn't love people just so they would be his friends, so everything would be hunky-dory. There are countless places where he was deserted. Why? Simply because he told the truth. Oh, and by the way, that's what got him killed. What does it mean, love enough, love God to love people enough hard things? No. But I'm sure that if you get serious about it, we'll let you know. If you decide today after hearing this truth that you're going to love God enough, make changes in your life, you'll know what it means. You decided here and today that you're going to love enough, be filled with truth and filled with grace. He'll let you know what it means. How you speak. And when you encounter how you act is that you show up. Not easy. Not easy at all. You know, one of the things that I've come to appreciate are that when you get in those conversations and that accusation comes out, and it's happened to me so many times, you don't love me. I've come to appreciate this truth because I know what's in my heart. That if this is true, if, if that's true of you, and I want you to think about this in terms of who you're called to be and how you're called to love. See, that's the one issue. Yes, the, the behavior and practice, God already makes that really clear. But for somebody in the midst of that, to say those words, uh, number one, I, I think it's a bit of transference, right? Because it moves it away from my sin to your sin. We're not going to focus on what I practice and what I do. We're going to focus on you. That's a mechanism that's been around since the beginning of time. Transference. I'm going to focus on you now and tell you what's wrong with you. You don't love me. But here's the other thing. If that indeed is true, then they've got just cause for the argument. But if they don't, there's no other place to point. Hear what God is saying. If you choose to love enough, where's the argument? Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we have a church name. It says Room for All. We have flags and banners outside. Place to belong. I deeply believe that's true. Whenever I get challenged personally, I think that's one of the things I say. If you're saying that I don't love, 
How about you give me a chance to prove it? Let's have conversations. Let's talk. Let's do life together. enough to tell the truth. Wipe away all humans. And in so doing, honor and glory the great Lord our God. It's a hot issue. But when that happens, it does. It's incredibly rich. Let's pray together. Lord God, we can't do this on our own. We humbly admit that to you. We think about all the things going on in the world. All the things that make our heads spin and our hearts hurt. God, we we recognize our own frailty and our own trust and hope, O God, we come before you. Open, transparent, falling on our faces, asking for forgiveness, asking for grace, asking for strength, asking for love. So do we in this moment. God, for each and every person here listening, I ask for the presence of your spirit and the fullness of your love. The world is a lost and hurting place, O God. And the reason is simple. Truth has been exchanged for a lie. People haven't loved enough. Work in our hearts. Help us to be a body of Jesus Christ. It rises up to the challenges that you give. Follows the footstep of Jesus. Might it be. Your holy, your precious, and your awesome name.